This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Brady versus Mahomes? No, 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 no. How about Montana versus Mahomes? What's it like on Radio Roll for the Super Bowl? And would you rather have Mike Vrabel or Bill Belichick? It's the Will Cain Show on Fox News Podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio entertainment as well. On the Fox News YouTube channel and on demand at the Will Cain Show on YouTube. Hit subscribe. That's where you'll get the video version of all of the Kane on Sports Friday edition of the Will Kane show. Today, we have a conversation about whether or not the real debate should be not Brady versus Mahomes, but Montana versus Mahomes and what it will take for Mahomes to end up legitimately in the debate for greatest of all time. And how much money is flowing through college sports? Volleyball stadiums, volleyball specific 6,000 foot state, 6,000 seat stadiums. If you're a college football coach, this is all going into your pocket as well. So, is that what keeps you from going to the NFL? And if you were the owner of a franchise, let's say that's on the cusp but can't get over the hump, and maybe you got one year left with your current head coach, just hypothetically. And a quarterback that people agree is good, but also not capable of quite getting over the hump. Just hypothetically. Would you rather have current head coach free agents, Mike Vrabel or Bill Belichick? Let's discuss it with the hosts of Hot Mike on OutKick, Chad Withrow and Jonathan Hutton. Well, that is that kind of flattery will get you everywhere, uh, Jonathan. Thanks for starting there, guys. I I appreciate having you guys on. You guys are building something pretty awesome there at Outkick. So I want to start with a specific question. Um, I'll let you guys, your co-host, you can negotiate your own uh, chemistry and and. Um, order of answering any question. So I'll just let you guys work out who gets to go first. I'm going to ask, how many Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes have to win to surpass Tom Brady as the GOAT? Hutton, we've kind of uh, batted this back and forth, right? If it's just a championship Super Bowl ring contest to be labeled the GOAT, the greatest of all time, uh, he's got to at least match the seven for, for Tom Brady. I don't think he's going to get there. But I also am a firm believer that it's not just championships that's the merit for the quarterback to be the greatest of all time. We're judging quarterbacks throughout different eras. It can't just be a championship contest with those guys. So I think if he gets to five or six, then he's going to have an argument because of the way he started statistically in his career. Yeah. And I think he's going to get there. Well, statistically, he's neck and neck with Brady, who is a quote-unquote game manager through his first three, right? But that's a Super Bowl career in and of itself. Um, the, the difference between the two, if Mahomes ends with six, is Brady has seven because he beat Mahomes. And that will put Brady over the top, Will. However, um, it's, it's not how it, it, 
Chad's right. It's not how many titles you have. It's how you win those titles. And the fact that he continues to trail by 10 points, continues to play against Kyle Shanahan, continues to throw the football against him. I mean, it, it, it's the way that they win these games. And um, Mahomes had Tyreek Hill. You know, he he had the flash in offense. And now back-to-back titles after Tyreek is traded away. And the fact that they can go for a three-peat, which Brady never did, that can put him over the top way sooner than anywhere close to getting to seven. Well, and, you know, a lot of talk about Taylor Swift and eras, right? Let's look at the eras of Tom Brady's career. Three distinct different eras. Game manager in the beginning, relied on defense to win championships. Patrick Mahomes is what carries the Chiefs team to start in this initial era. So he's already ahead of Brady at this point. Now, is he going to play till he's 45 years old and win that many championships? Doubtful. I would say, but just from a statistical standpoint, I think he's actually got a leg up. As long as we don't have some catastrophic injury, that's always what you have to throw in there regardless. If that doesn't happen, though, the way he started his career, Will, I I think he's got a great chance to be considered the greatest of all time. And, Will, he needs challengers because Brady is known for winning during the era of Peyton Manning, during the era of Aaron Rodgers. He needs Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and others to step up at least closer to his level. Otherwise, it's just Mahomes and a big gap between everyone else. Brady Brady had a gap, but there was still a consistent challenger every step of the way. Well, the three of us are on the same page. It can't simply be arithmetic. It's not just counting championships, although that is sort of the barrier of entry into the debate. You know, when Brady when Brady accumulates seven, he's so far and above anyone else that is in the debate that he is, regardless of whatever his perceived talent is, he 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 throws seven rings on the table and the debate is over. And before Brady, for me, it was Joe Montana. And Joe Montana had four. And, you know, here's the interesting debate. Has Mahomes already passed Montana? Because he's he's passed Rodgers, he's passed Manning, he's passed Breeze. And to the point of not counting championships, I think the ultimate game ender on that debate is, is Bill Russell the greatest of all time when it comes to basketball? And nobody thinks so, even though he has 11 titles. Everybody thinks it's Jordan who has, you know, a little more than half of that in six. So there's some, there's some, you know, ill-defined ingredients in this recipe that requires some element of championships. And I think it's probably five for Mahomes, I think it's probably five when the debate gets very real um, about whether or not he's better, he's whether or not he's the greatest of all time over Brady. The only thing to Jonathan I would say to you is, towards that rival point, if Mahomes continues on the path that he is, we'll never know how good anyone else was. We'll never know how serious these rivals were. Because Jordan left in his wake a whole host of guys who could have had claims to maybe not the best player in the NBA, but you know in the top five at any given moment in their peak, whether that's Barkley or Malone, but they just couldn't overcome Jordan. Burrow and Allen and Jackson and whoever will be the man in the NFC, they will be side notes in history because of what we're watching with a guy who, and I think this may be the more interesting debate, a guy... Has he already passed Montana? I don't think he has passed no. Montana just yet, but but he, he and, you know he's right there knocking on Montana's door. Perception's reality, Will. I think he's passed Montana because the goat debate doesn't mention him at all. It's Brady or Mahomes right now. I mean, I, I don't hear Montana's name at the bar. 
Well, you I know, speak, I, but maybe it should be. Debate, maybe that's yeah, recency yeah, that's, bias. Maybe it should be. Maybe, that's the debate maybe. now. Mahomes, Montana. Well, I, I love Will that you brought up Michael Jordan because you know for our era that's always the goat in, in basketball. And, and you're right, Michael Jordan left so many wannabe villains in his path. There was no, no one that was his equal. I think Magic and Bird, their profile got raised because of the other. Right, They're in the discussion of some of the greatest of all time. And I'm not trying to diminish either one of those guys. They're truly great NBA players, historically. But because they had the foil, because they had the villain on the other side, I think we think of those guys in in a bigger light than maybe we would have otherwise if they were in an era where they were undeniably the best player of their era and there was no second place. If they were ahead of their time, if they were Pistol Pete, right, or something like that, we'd think of them differently while I think it's not going to stop Mahomes from being the GOAT, I do think it will help his legacy if there is an Apollo Creed to his Rocky or Rocky to his Apollo Creed, however you want to look at it. If there's a quarterback, maybe it's C.J. Stroud. Maybe it's someone that we're not even thinking about right now because they've just started out. But if he had that Manning to Brady, as Hutton brought up, I think that's going to help him. There's also uh, an undeniability with Brady, despite the controversy of Gate and everything else, uh, and he he rode the wave a lot like Jordan did. Jordan won the three titles, and then when he came, he was he was the villain because I I loved Michael Jordan, and then I hated him because I loved Shaq and Penny. You know, it, there there is a wave with Mahomes. I don't know if Mahomes is a villain or if he will be. I, I don't. He's just not viewed that same way. And there's no controversy. But Brady has the undeniable greatness about him that even if you hated the dude, there's a respect level there. You bow. You you t- you, you bend the knee to Tom Brady. And there also, you mentioned Montana. It's an era. It's like, do you remember Joe Montana playing at his peak, at his greatness? Because if you don't, you automatically, like Chad said, you're going to Jordan, not LeBron. I think it's just it, what you view and what you witness versus what you heard about. And I, there is a so, difference there. And I think Mahomes is bridging both. Brady did too, but Mahomes is bridging both where he's, he's played against Brady. And again, the head-to-head loss. He's also playing against everybody that's trying to take his spot, and no one can. So so to clarify, we're all on the same page that Brady is the greatest of all time. We're anticipating yes. when that debate gains legitimacy when Mahomes enters that conversation. It's, it's out there in the future. But I hadn't considered this debate until the three of us ended up talking in Hutton. I hear you. You think Mahomes has surpassed Montana. Um, and I'm sitting here trying to think through it. Mahomes is three and one in Super Bowls. Montana's four and zero in Super Bowls. Uh, Chad, where are you on that? Do you think Mahomes has already passed Montana? I don't. I, I still I give the nod to to Montana right now, but I'm also clearly seeing that he's going to pass him. Right, eventually by the end of his career, we can all see what what's happening, what could happen in the future. Three years from now, he's probably going to pass Montana. I, I I'm a historian. So I always default to what I've seen and what I know and not what is unseen and unknown when it comes to sport. I've seen Montana's entire career. There's no debating what he was able to do. There's no debating the cool, calm, collected nature of Joe Montana. There's no debating the guy making a joke about John Candy before marching down the field for a touchdown win, a touchdown to win the Super Bowl and a pass to John Taylor and cracking jokes in the huddle. We saw Tom Brady's career, right, and how cool he was in the biggest moments. And how fiery he was with his team when they needed it. Also, we're seeing it with Patrick Mahomes, but we still haven't seen the whole story yet. So quick, I give the nod we're to Joe Montana that. right now. But but we're going to see well, it, but, right? If, I, if I'm projecting, and, I think we will see it and he will pass him. 
and we're seeing this from Mahomes. Let me put this. You guys may have seen this this week. This blew my mind. So I was at the game. I know you guys were in Las Vegas for Super Bowl week. There was video going around from the game of the refs talking about that final. It was a third and four play for the San Francisco 49ers. And one of the refs was like, oh, this is the biggest play of the game because you can't give the ball back to Mahomes. We all understand like just that, that emotion. Don't give the ball back to Mahomes. But a guy named Neil Payne put this out. Since 2001, there, there have been 125 game-winning drive opportunities. Down by seven or less, and you have the ball, how much do you convert that into a win? And I believe in the league it was under 40% conversion, where a, Super Bowl, uh, where a quarterback turned that into a game-winning drive. Brady was 46%. He was something like uh, 7 of 15 Breeze was 50%. He was three of six. And so far in his career, Mahomes is seven for seven in those opportunities. So that thing that we feel and the thing that the ref knows is real. If he has the ball, the Chiefs win. With whoever else is around him. You know, like Tyreek Hill is in Miami. He has six fewer touchdowns than the rest of the Chiefs wide receivers combined over the last two years. That is crazy to consider and knowing what the Chiefs have accomplished. And, Chad, just going back to that, you want the ball in, the, in Mahomes' hands. I mean, there is a there's a, a, a swagger to it, but there's also just the next level that no one else can get. You, Will, you just mentioned some of the great quarterbacks, period. You know, with just going through all these, all these numbers. I mean, Mahomes is better because he's just better. Yeah, and I, I can't wait yeah. to see that, that stat's ridiculous, by the way, uh, Will, that you just threw out there. And it, it shows his greatness in the biggest moments. But going back to Brady and the eras for Brady, you know, from Dion Branch to Randy Moss to Gronk and Edelman, he had a different cast of characters and pass catchers. I can't wait to see what's after Travis Kelsey, right? We're seeing what's yeah, after yeah. Tyreek Hill very early in his career. Who's the next Travis Kelsey? Because we know even if he's not as great as Kelsey, Mahomes is going to turn a tight end into his favorite target, and he's going to be very good and elevated because of Mahomes. Is he going to have two big eras of success in Super Bowls? Is he going to have three like Brady? But seeing that next turnover, I think their first-round pick is going to be a receiver. Does that receiver become Randy Moss and what Randy Moss was in that one great season that the Patriots had offensively where they go undefeated and eventually lose the Giants in the Super Bowl. What do those eras look like for Mahomes is fascinating to me, and what's next yeah, for him. We saw what's next after Hill. What's after that? And it's scary for the rest of the league because you could argue that offensively, this is probably one of the worst teams that Mahomes will have. I mean, he has Kelsey, but wide receiver-wise, I think you're right. It's only going to get better through free agency or through the draft. He'll have better wide receivers, so good luck, NFL. Hey, I mentioned it, or Hutton, you mentioned you had uh, you brought up the name C.J. Stroud. And I said, you guys were in Las Vegas for... Um, for the week of the Super Bowl, and you got C.J. Stroud. You guys got a lot of awesome guests. You had C.J. Stroud, you had Sean Merriman, you had Greg Olson. Um, you were on Radio Row. I've done uh, then the Will Kane show on ESPN from Radio Row. Tell me what you what what was the experience like? Like you know, you're sitting there and uh, your your producers are just grabbing these dudes as they're walking by. Was that pre booked? Like, what's the a lot of people don't appreciate it. It's like a convention center, usually, Radio Row. It's actually like this big cavernous building with shows scattered out everywhere and people meandering through the aisles. Um, and then producers hustling around, hey, will you hop on Hot Mike? You know, uh, how, did that, how did it go, Radio Row at Super Bowl? 
a lot of it was just pre-booked. And this is for the first time in what, uh, well, the last three times we've been, Chad, we're not peons anymore, Will. I mean, we're not the local market <laughs> sitting there watching uh, the larger market or the, the larger shows. <laughs> Finally, we're not peons. Pre-book everything. Uh, because they a lot of times the guests will come through and they already have their schedule. And you're more or less going up to up, up the handler that you know over the years and just begging for five minutes or a walk and talk, right? Like that's that's what we were doing. And because of Fox and Alkid, we don't have to do that, thankfully. And the the guest list this year was tremendous. So we we, we loved it. And uh, you mentioned CJ. CJ was my favorite guest of yeah, of, he was, of the group because we got to know he what he was and what he is behind the scenes. So my first Super Bowl experience was the end of the 2005 season in Detroit, right? That great Super Bowl host, Detroit was my first Super Bowl experience. And I was a producer. I was the guy walking around trying to secure guests on Radio Row. I think we started on Monday or Tuesday. The first guest I ever booked was Rob Schneider, the comedian, former SNL cast member. All right? Rob Schneider, someone threw a football down. It was at the GM place, GM center, whatever it is, and there was like this oval walkway above the radio stations. Someone threw a football down for Rob Schneider to sign. He signs it, and he attempts to punt the ball back up to the fan, and it goes right off the side of his foot and drills a radio host in the side of the face. It was one of the funniest things I ever saw. No one else saw it. (laughs) Just if you were there on Radio Row, you saw it. I say that to illustrate the fact now, cameras would have picked that up everywhere. It is no longer Radio Row. It's streaming row. I bet 25% of the people there were actually attached to a radio show or radio station. Everyone's got cameras, even if you're on a radio show. So there are cameras everywhere. There are lights. Uh, there's huge backdrops. It's just it's very different in the last almost 20 years now that I've been going to the Super Bowl. It's yeah. evolved so much that Rob Schneider would now be seen by every streaming service and every podcast, uh, webcast, everything uh, in the United States had that happened this year. Well, and because of that, I get a little bit cynical of anything that happens on quote-unquote Radio Row. So there's the hallways, the aisles as we're talking about. I remember my last time at Radio Row was 2020. It was in Miami. And I'm not going to remember the fighters, but I think they were they were MMA fighters. may have been Israel Adonayow or uh, somebody, maybe Rampage Jackson. Was it Jackson. Floyd Mayweather? I, remember. I remember him being in Miami at one point talking a lot of trash too, walking around. Well, it was two guys who were kind of, it was two guys who were rumored to, to at some point, you know, going to meet up in a fight. And then it's like all of a sudden, oh no, one was uh, Jorge Masvidal. And I can't remember who the other was. And it was, um, all of a sudden now they're about to fight in the middle of the aisle. It was was the guy that he knocked out in like seven seconds, I think, that guy. It might might have been. And this year, by the way, I saw Chris Cyborg, the female MMA fighter, get into it with another another female fighter and I and I but it's all look if I'm being real and I know Chris and and I like Chris um but it's it's manufactured it's all hype it's not real like it's there so you catch it on your camera and stream it and it builds up marketing for the fight and it did make me think about this other moment which isn't radio row related but did you see um uh Dana White yeah. walk off of <laughs> Howie Mandel's podcast Mandel doesn't get past the intro which is just I mean, it's obsequious. It's flowering. It's just like over the top compliment. And then Dana White goes, I'm so sick of podcasts. I'm done with podcasts and walks off. And there's a part of me, and I know Dana a little bit, but there's a part of me that's like, then why did you show up? Like, was that for effect as well? Like, was that all hype and marketing? Was that a viral moment? I'm so cynical of everything. 
Yeah, it, it felt like a work, uh, that Dana White clip you're talking about. And look, we complimented you to start this podcast, not near to the extent that Howie Mandel did with Dana White. Yeah. That was yeah. weird. I, yeah. I watched it and I thought, is there a history with these two that he's made fun of Dana White in the past and now he's going over the top to be condescending? To him and about his business, no, I don't and think Dana White I don't think can read it. The podcast, though, if he if that's that's, that's the thing is like okay, if uh, you know, some said, well, no one listens to the Howie Mandel podcast, so why is he? Well, why would he agree to do it in the first place if no one yeah, watched I, or listened? It's a very odd moment. Yeah, I, it felt scripted. It did, but but will Dana doesn't have to do that anymore, right? Like that, right? He's he he needs to announce the main event for UFC three hundred or whatever, like. Uh, he doesn't have to do that to get the attention if he if he wants to get behind a microphone. I don't. That was very strange. I, I don't know what happened before was, that, but the, the 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 glowing review where how we say, man, I, I'm just jealous of you, and then he's like, yeah, I'm tired of doing podcasts. Crazy, and yeah. it, it did feel scripted. It felt very WWE, which is now what partners with UFC. By the right? way, I'm glad, Will, you don't have a kitty cat in your background the way Howie Mandel did. Yeah, that was my big takeaway. Was what's Anime. going on with this podcast? There's just a random redheaded dude. That's standing there saying nothing. There's a woman oh. next to him. There's a huge blown up photo of a cat behind him. He's going over the top complimenting <laughs> Dana White. Then he's getting up and leaving. I was also picturing everything else around him and thinking, what hey, in the world is going on with this? Uh, speaking of just uh, saying in character and all that, I, I uh, and, and, and scripted, I think Carrot Top walking around Vegas is a method actor. I really like, he looks so awful. It's brilliant. He was in the Vegas suite, too. He made it into the suite for all the Vegas celebrities. Well, have you seen it recently? Garrett Top? I saw him on the during the game. So um, what happens during the game, I don't know if you guys are there, but I know a lot of people listening or watching might not know this. The commercial breaks are ridiculous during the Super Bowl. And so in stadium, yeah. they have to find things to do. It's so long. So they have like an in-stadium in, in MC, and they show shots, and they have people come out. So like... Joe Montana came out and waved at the crowd, and they had a little introduction or talk. But they had some booth that had – it was Jimmy Kimmel. Um, I can't remember who else. It was like five Wayne celebrities Newton. all together. And Wayne Newton and Carrot Top. And you're right. Like, I mean, Carrot Top, I know he works out. Like, he's super jacked. And he might be on HGH. I don't, I don't know that, Carrot. Uh, I'm just saying he's in incredible shape, but his face looks like he's had some work done as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little uh, unsettling. Well, he looks like he's on, he just came off set where he's, you know, playing a, a, someone who hasn't slept and slept outside the last time he did. Like he looks like he smells, but smells so bad. It's good. That's how, that's how great of a, a method actor this man is right now. <laughs> did anybody, um, there was you guys and outkick were recently written up in the New York times. Um, did anybody, and I know you said the show was pre-booked, so this is probably a better question for, for the your producers, part, yes. but you're probably aware. Yeah, and 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 so, but I'm sure you guys are aware. Did anybody decline to do your show because you're, you know, without kick, affiliated with Fox? Did anybody say no? Because I was really impressed with the the guys that you sat down with that that were willing to to talk. Because we all know, you know, and I know, there are some people that just won't talk with something affiliated with Fox. Not that I'm aware of, Chad. Not this year. We, we've had people in the past that kind of like see outkick or whatever and like kind of laugh like, yeah, my client's not going to do that or, or something along those lines. Uh, but this year I don't I, look, if someone said no, it didn't get back to us. Uh, no one there with production told us that they said no because it was outkick. I yeah. mean, Greg Olson's a great example, right? And he's a fellow Fox employee like we are. And uh, I think we were the first stop on his tour 
Uh, he was there with Fireball, and he was great. And we talked about a lot of different industry-type things. Everyone there is really cool. If you just look at Radio Row for the most part, this this year I think was a better example than most. You realize that a lot of people in our industry are just very nice. Everyone was kind of in a good mood. Everyone was friendly with each other. All that animosity that we see online at times in the division kind of goes away a little bit when you're around people in the industry. Yeah, and I, know, I know you see this a lot, I'm sure, in television also, Will, with, with, with what you do with Fox News, but it kind of goes away at times. So we didn't have really any negative experiences with anyone this year. It's that I also recall. like a radio. Unless I'm forgetting something. No, I, I don't think so, Will. And I, I also like we're Chad and I are in the playground of life. Like we're, we're talking sports, right? You can go to the the stadium here in Nashville or anywhere, and you don't care who you're sitting next to. And I think in, in large part, that was Radio Row for us in person. However, I think everyone else was more paranoid, especially if you were a, 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 a employee of the league or a player. They're looking over their shoulder to see if there's some sports gambling ad behind them because they don't want to be photographed. They're so paranoid about getting suspended or kicked out or fired. Uh, meanwhile, they have to walk by a slot machine to get into the uh, radio row in Vegas. It's crazy. I think there was more paranoia about that than whoever was conducting any interview there. We'll be right back with more of the Will Kane podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, let me ask you guys this. I'll start with you on this one, Chad. Uh, speaking of money in sports, you guys are both big college football fans, as, as am I. I uh, believe that either both of you or one of you root for the, the fake UT, um, that uh, <laughs> your, your orange is too bright, traffic cone bright. Leave it out in the sun. Let it get a little character. Get some burnt orange. Uh, however, I want to ask you about this. This does come from my, my school, the University of Texas. I saw an article this week. Texas just built uh, the Moody Center, which is a new basketball stadium, and it's supposed to be awesome. And the previous one was bad, where they played basketball before was not good. But now they have this awesome new basketball stadium, which you would presume would also serve for multiple sports um, at, at UT. But now I just saw Chris Del Conte, the AD at Texas, give his sort of annual address, and he said they're looking at building a five to 6,000-person volleyball-exclusive stadium, mm. which... Is pretty fascinating to think about on this front. Well, volleyball is not a revenue-generating sport, but how much money is now flowing through colleges? Yes, in part because of football, because of athletics, but also endowments and, and everything. It's it, you know, I've the the argument for paying players, and I don't. I'm not even talking about the downstream effects, which I'm super conservative about. Like, what does this mean, paying players, and what does it do to our sport? But the argument's never been stronger when they're looking for ways to spend it like, hey, we need a stadium for volleyball. You know, like this this is in in large part driven hugely by the dudes playing football. You know, uh, first off, my Tennessee orange versus your Texas orange. Just keep in mind that Texas burn orange could have been in trouble in the Spanish-American War had it not been for some volunteers 
from the state of Tennessee. So we are linked at the hip there, Will. We are we are brothers in arms. Mexican American War. With the Mexican American Mexican American War. And orange. Tennessee and Texas. Orange. Yeah. Bro- brothers in arms, brothers in orange. Well, I'll just also. say it's it's um, good for you guys. You're never gonna get yeah. you're never gonna get shot in the woods. You're never gonna get shot in the woods. You know, hey, you've always got important. Hunter Orange on. Right. Avoiding friendly fire. De- definitely important when you're out hunting some deer. Um no, look, I, I think the money in, in college sports it's always existed. It's now all about allocation. Place like Texas is a good example. You don't have to worry about allocation because there's so much money to go around that you can build this 5,000-seat volleyball facility and not really lose out facility-wise with men's basketball or football, sports that generate profit for the university, right? I think certain programs, though, you do have to get selective now about where your money goes. Where in the past, you'd give it to the university, the athletic fund, a booster fund, he would go to the new weight room for the football team. Or maybe you're a, you know, a baseball alum, and it's going to go to a practice facility for baseball, however you want to allocate that money. But all the money was going upstream to the university to build great facilities and make sure it's an, an attractive spot as possible for potential athletes coming out of high school. Now some places have to pick and choose. Are we going to use our collective to pay players to make sure they don't transfer? or to get some top-notch high school players here. And if we do that, our, our facility is going to become decrepit because we don't have the money then to give back to the university in that way. Texas is going to be fine. I think my alma mater, Tennessee, is going to be fine with that. But there are programs that aren't in the top 25 or 30 of revenue-generating programs that are going to have to make a choice, and that's where they kind of fall even more to the wayside in certain circumstances. I also think, like, just from a collective standpoint, I mean – Volleyball, women's basketball, what else? Gymnastics. Those are the money makers for collectives and NIL, really, right it's now. It's the money maker for those athletes, yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, they're making a them. lot. Yeah. Also, this, I don't know why I thought about this, but is this uh, another version of someone gave some money and said, this is going to volleyball? Like someone donated to the Michigan State football facility and said, it's going to be the Tom Izzo Center? That might be. It may be some billionaire had yeah. a daughter who played volleyball at UT. It, it could be. Could, could um, be. But, but hey, well, he probably also gave millions to the football program, too. Yeah. When, I lived in Tennessee for uh, about four or five months through COVID. I lived in eastern Tennessee uh, outside of Knoxville. And, I, you know, this. I just said UT. I'm just curious. What do you guys call Texas? Do you just say Texas? Because, like, we're UT, and I know you think you're UT. So I think we just say Tennessee. What, what do you say? You just say Texas? Uh. I just say Texas, and honestly, I don't say UT about UT of Tennessee, I'm saying. I just say Tennessee. If someone asked where I went to school, oh. I'd, I'd say Tennessee. Here's what drives me crazy, and this would never happen in Texas with, with, as you would call it, the UT. When people refer to Tennessee, the volunteers, as UTK or UT Knoxville, yeah. that drives me crazy yeah. because to me, there's one UT, and then there's UT Chattanooga, there's UT Martin, there's other variations of it, but if you say UT... You don't need to add the K. If you're in this state, if you're in Tennessee, no need to add another initial to it. That would never, it would never be UTA or UT Austin, no. right? In, in the state UTA, of Texas. UTA is, uh, UTA is UT Arlington. Uh, but you're right. Nobody says UT Austin. They don't, they don't. Uh, your UTEP, your UTSA, you get the extra letters. There's, there's the UT. And, and thank God for that. Uh, I'm trying to get to that in the state of Tennessee. So that, that's the right system you have there in Texas. Um, let's stay on this uh, well it's college and pro I'm fascinated by the number of head coaches who say they're done with college football 
Um, you know, Chip Kelly's a unique situation, I think, leaving UCLA as head coach to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. But um, there's been several of these guys. What, it was Jeff Halfley, I think, that left Boston College to go be an assistant in the NFL. It's just turned into a bad job. And I don't mean that, of course, you make 5 to $10 million a year. But lifestyle-wise, if you ranked sports jobs, I, I bet we could do this right now. If you ranked sports jobs, head coach, uh, college basketball is going to be up there. But NBA, NHL, you know, Major League Baseball, obviously NFL head coach, I think college football has got to be the worst lifestyle there is in coaching. Between having to text 17-year-olds year-round, recruit your existing players, figure out the NIL, figure out with your president where you're going to be playing ball for the next three to five years as we restructure almost every year. It's, it's I mean, I, even if they go on vacation, there's no way they really go on vacation and don't take their phones with them. Well, I think if you have, if you've worked your way up, so to me, it's the key. The key would be, are you among the top 25 paid college football coaches? If you are, you're making 6 million plus. And I, I mean, as, college, as far as head coaches are concerned, you get paid to fail in college football. I mean, if you're, you get the buyout or, I mean, 42 to 45% of athletic budgets in the power five will right now are paying either former coaches, administrators, or staff. That are no longer there. Uh, that I mean, that's where the system is broken. I now, if you are an assistant coach or you are just an offensive analyst, that is where you're doing the. That is the you're. That is the grind. But if you work your way up, we we had a, a joke going on show. Mike Vrabel, former head coach of the Titans, during his first contract, college football coach A, is he making more than Mike Vrabel? It would stun you, how many coaches that were winning five or six games a year. We're making more than an NFL coach, one of 32. Yeah, let's go back to like the super conference, you know, we're talking about. If we're talking about the top 40 or 50 revenue-generating football programs in America, let's put all of them into a pot and say that's one group. I will truly sound the alarm bells when one of those 50 head coaches leaves for a coordinator job or assistant job in the NFL. If that starts happening, I'm saying, okay, now there really is a problem because that head coach – left this program, if Steve Sarkeesian leaves Texas to go be the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions when Ben Johnson leaves, okay, that's a huge story, right? Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College for a coordinator job in the NFL does not surprise me because Boston College is not a very good job in college football. It's very difficult to win there, so I can understand why he'd want to do that. Yesterday, we get the news that Sean Elliott, who's the head coach at Georgia State, is leaving to be a tight ends coach at South Carolina. Right? That's a weird move, but I think that's just as much of him saying, very difficult to win here. I've got no resources. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be the head coach. I want to go back to being an assistant and make a ton of money doing that. So there's different levels to it, but if you had your choice from a lifestyle standpoint, yeah, go to the NFL. You have an offseason. Like you said, Will, you're not texting, not just 17-year-old, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids how far out you're going to have to recruit now. You're worried about your own roster in the transfer portal. You're re-recruiting guys. It is a an up-at-dawn, endless thing that goes on with college football coaches. So if you can make similar money and go to the NFL, I think anyone would take that. But I'm still not so. going crazy over this until that big-time head coach leaves 
for an assistant job in the NFL. When that happens, then then I'm going to be alarmed. Maybe also just as surprising well, to me is that the lack of coaches in college who get interviews for the NFL jobs it doesn't happen anymore. Cliff Kingsbury, yes. But, I mean, uh, if you look around, I mean, there's not – you've got Bill O'Brien who's done both. Of course, Harbaugh who's done both. But it's not like the top coaches in college football are being interviewed for the Chargers or the Falcons job. Like the Kirby Smart meme that was going around about is- the Falcons. That that will change, my, my suspicion, because in the meantime, what you're describing, those top 50 programs are going to evolve. Like, <clears throat> I read now, you know, I'm a I'm a, a nut, a dork on this stuff. I read like three or four Longhorn blogs every day. It's part of my rotation to keep up with re- recruiting and everything else. And I'm surprised how much virtual ink they're spilling on guys I'd never heard of in terms of he's now whatever their titles are general manager it's it's an effect a general manager for the college program so 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 yeah. I don't they don't call him general manager but they're calling him something else and these top 40 to 50 programs are going to start to look more like pro programs where the coach um, defers to the GM on recruiting or talent development or portal management and that kind of thing the only difference is, it's still recruiting based for now, so you got to have a relationship. Like Sarkeesian can't offload all that responsibility to his GM. He's got to have a relationship with those kids that are already in his program and the ones he's trying to get into his program. And when that happens, I think the NFL translation will get much tighter, and we might see guys make the move uh, more to the NFL. We're just not seeing it though. I, I think, I mean, if if cities like they build stadiums for owners, if they would buy out coaches' contracts, we may see it more often. But the salaries yeah. are really not – they're vastly different um, for head coaches yeah. getting their start in the NFL versus very average to below average head coaches in the Power Five. It blows my mind. Uh, it, it, Middle Tennessee State University was paying their coach nearly a million dollars, and then now they're paying him like $7 million to leave. I mean, that, that blows my mind, the money that is just being given out. I mean, it's just – you know, it's a charity. It's an well, Oprah Winfrey and, show. And to your point, if I've got a big buyout and I'm a college head coach to what, what you were saying, Will, about these kind of G, de facto general manager positions in college, that's money well spent in my program. If I can yeah. defer a little bit of my money, if I'm making that much as a head coach and give good money to someone I know and trust to run a player personnel department and deal with NIL and deal with a lot of other things, transfer portal, a lot of the high school recruiting, and I go to them and I'm just communicating with them on what I need to do and when I need to close and who I need to go visit and all those things, that's money well spent, especially when you know that even if you fail, you're getting the big check in the in the buyout. So, I look, uh, one of the first ones, Barton Simmons, our buddy here in Nashville at Vanderbilt, he is the general manager. That is his title. When Clark Lee got hired at Vanderbilt, he, he, he was in scouting, he was working for those blogs that you know you read about the Texas Longhorns covering high school recruiting, and now he's the general manager for Vanderbilt football. I think that's a smart way to go, and we're going to see more and more of that. Oh, and they make up. You're right. They make up titles. I mean, Georgia has an uh, assistant athletic director for inclusion. I mean, that, that is the title of her job in the athletic department at the University of Georgia. I mean, they, they there's just tons of money. And, and meanwhile, the NFL owners just rake it in. I think there's a big difference with why they're paying money and who is who is and who isn't in the two levels. What a dream job, that friend of yours you just described. He went from writing on recruiting blogs to, to GM of, yes. of Vanderbilt. That's that's an awesome story. Real quick before I move on, um, Hutton, you brought it up. What did Vrabel make when he was head coach of the Titans? About an average of $4 million. So a Shane Beamer. He was $4 million a year? Yes, Shane Beamer, prior to the recent extension, was making more than Mike Rabel. 
Yeah, Josh Heifel at Tennessee, I think, wow. got hired for four million in year one, and then immediately got an extension and a raise after one season. But I love that. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, when Missouri is paying more for their head coach than the Tennessee Titans, that is just an eyebrow raise to me. All right, we'll end here. Since you brought him up, it's a perfect transition. Mike Vrabel um, doesn't have a job at the time that we are talking now. May have a job in the next couple of days as defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. There's at least some talk of that. Niners, Kyle Shanahan fired Steve Wilkes after one year. A lot of people are like, why? I mean, Niners had a good defense. I don't, I don't get why either. Um, you know, this NFL coaching search was fascinating. I couldn't believe, well, first of all, I couldn't believe that there wasn't a job for Bill Belichick. But I also couldn't yeah. believe that that Raheem Morris, you know, was the choice of the Atlanta Falcons. But then I read that a lot of teams actually wanted Raheem Morris. And and that he had um, he has a great reputation in the league. He was the Rams defensive coordinator, at one time head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Didn't do well as head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he has this like great reputation. I'll make a couple of points. I want to get your response. First of all, that in of itself tells me everything I need to know. For example, about the race debate with Eric Bieniemy. Like I've always said, like oh, Eric Bieniemy isn't a proxy on race. Eric Bieniemy is a proxy on personality. That's what that's about. Like, and that's the thing about all of our race conversations. It robs you of all of your complexity as a human being, like who you actually yeah. are and your personality. And Bienemy and their reports that came out of Washington this year rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I've never met him, so I can't pass judgment on his personality, but clearly there's something going on there with him as just a dude, right? And what it's doing with his ability to move up, where the opposite, Raheem Morris, black. Something about his personality, everybody loves Raheem Morris. I mean, and and to me, that tells me everything I need to know about the debate we always have in coaching over race. Well, I mean, just last week, and I, I, I really like Stephen A. Smith, but he's making he's making a point about Bienemy and and being replaced like Cliff Kingsbury, and no one no one mentions that the Commanders hired a black defensive coordinator. That like they they at the same level job same organization defensive coordinator that was hired was brought in is black but it was kingsbury that was the headline instead of eric b eric b like you mentioned raheem morris um the if if b was so sought after for for his role why is he rumored just to go back to kansas city you, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah, he goes from the commander yeah. he's not good back to I, kansas city i think that's the answer is he was a product of andy reed and Andy Reid's offensive expertise, and that's what people are finding out. And, Will, what you said also, his personality's not great. He, he is sandpaper. He rubs people the wrong way. I think Raheem Morris and Cliff Kingsbury are two great examples here, right, of, of, of this whole idea of racism existing to some great extent. I think it's, it's a myth for, for this very reason. Raheem Morris sucked as a head coach with Tampa, right? Let's, let's not sugarcoat it. He, he was bad, and his reputation within that organization was not great. Uh, with him and his staff when he was a head coach there. Yeah. But he learned from the air of his ways. He was great to work with. He was very friendly with people after that. He did a good job as a coordinator. You've got Arthur Blank, who essentially admitted fault and admitted a mistake by not just keeping him on when he was interim and instead hiring Arthur Smith. So they he should have elevated him then, didn't. Comes back to it, interviews 14 guys, and decides, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I like this guy. Gets along with people. Let, let's hire him. I think Cliff Kingsbury is kind of the same thing. He wasn't great as a head coach. And I see him getting other opportunities, and I think it's a similar setup. He's a nice dude. I think people around the league like him. I think owners like him when they meet with him. It's no different 
than Raheem Morris. So you've got a black guy and a white guy here who I think are very similar in that they have both failed in the past, but are both very likable and owners like talking to them because I do think Raheem Morris had other opportunities as well. Not just one owner, multiple owners like talking to these guys. They've got a personality. They've got some charisma about them. I think it's really that simple, and it's something that Eric Bieniemy doesn't have, and it has nothing to do with race. Right. So I brought him up, Vrabel. So I said I'm surprised Belichick doesn't have a job. I presume you guys are both fans of the Tennessee Titans? Yes. Yeah, I worked, I worked for the Titans Radio Network for 16 years. want to see him do well, for sure. There we go. Right. Okay. Are you surprised? Okay, if I gave you a draft and you had an open job right now, nobody does have an open job, what would be your first call? Would it be Vrabel? Would it be Belichick? There's a shocking number of guys sitting there right now that you're going, why don't these guys have jobs? I just read, by the way, that somebody, Diana Rossini was speculating that Vrabel's size could intimidate some managers. Did you guys see that? Yeah, He's oh such yeah. a big dude that like some GMs and owners are like, I don't want to be intimidated by my head coach. But um, where would you go right now? Would it be Belichick? Would it be Vrabel? Would it be somebody else? How close am I to winning? I mean, if, if because both guys, Vrabel's perfect if you, you're putting him into a, a, a one of two ways. Uh, a roster that needs just a culture switch and you're ready to go, or you're locked and loaded like the Chargers are, and you're just go because he's got the defense to fix and he's got the quarterback. That's more or less what happened whenever they made the switch from Mariota to Tannehill. They caught fire because they built through Derrick Henry and they won. I mean, they went to an AFC championship game. Um, the difference, though, Will, between those two and the rest, to me, the league is going more traditional structure. They're getting away from the coach having the power. And I think yeah. that's why though they didn't land jobs because the owners chose general manager over coach in the power hierarchy. And those dudes don't want that. And if they do, they're going to choose who that person is above them, which means they're the dude. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think Vrabel wanted that in Tennessee. And I certainly know that Bill Belichick isn't going to be, I mean, if, if you're an owner, if I'm, if I want Bill Belichick and I love the guy, if I want Bill Belichick and I love my general manager, how is my general manager going to sit in a room with Bill Belichick and tell him anything or yeah. thump him on right. any decision? He's not. If, if you hire Bill Belichick, regardless of the structure, that's your general manager. Well, and I'll, I'll answer your question, Will. It, to me, it's Vrabel than Belichick. Power rankings. I'm going Vrabel one, Belichick two. Of the two or it, everybody? It's, it's mainly because of age. So I'm going Vrabel than Belichick. And to Hutton's point about situation, we had had this discussion. Let's say the Bills decided you know, they're going to go in different directions because they believe Sean McDermott can't get them over the hump. Vrabel's perfect for that. Yeah, You put him there, there's a culture change in the locker room. Maybe they get to a Super Bowl because of him. I think the Carolina Panthers should have hired Bill Belichick because what would have been the perfect spot for him is a complete reset where he's in charge and he, he's more of a builder than anything. So you give the greatest coach of all time a chance to come in and build for five or six years, and then maybe hand it off to someone else at his age. That's that to me are the two different situations I'll be looking at. But just any job, what's the draft order for me? Vrabel one, Belichick two. Yeah, and if, I mean, we should can we uh, mention Harbaugh? Harbaugh would be number one just based on what he's done in the league. I mean, he just it, the dude. That's who has, you would have picked. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, his his record is incredible. All right, let me let me give you one specific hypothetical. Let's say you have a team with a very strong owner, 
very active, big personality. Let's say you have a team with a good quarterback uh, who can't seem to get over the hump. At this point in the conversation, everybody knows what team I'm talking about. I have a team with a head coach who's won a Super Bowl, but also is doubted, perhaps unfairly, but beginning to earn that reputation in his second go-around. And that coach is uh, on his last leg. Let's say your name's Mike McCarthy and it's the Dallas Cowboys, and you're done next year. If you're Jerry Jones in that situation, I disagree, by the way, Chad, with you a little bit. I don't know that Belichick has a five-year runway. I don't think he has a five-year runway. He's too old, man. He needs, I think he needs almost a finished product. So the situation you described with Vrabel is actually the one I think Belichick needs. By the time he's hired next year, it's going to be 73 years old, I think. I mean, yeah, yeah he's old. And, and that would put him already like the oldest active coach in NFL history. I think that he's second as it is. Um, so my gut is next year, it's Bill Belichick for the Dallas Cowboys. But I'm trying to hear from you guys if it actually should be Mike Vrabel. Uh, Steven Jones loves Mike Vrabel, loves him some Mike Vrabel. And the only, so you mentioned the, the Rossini report. Okay. I would love to, I would love to know what the interview process was like in, in Los Angeles with Harbaugh and Vrabel and how you, you try to keep the alpha in the cage a little bit. What is the interview process like with Vrabel and Jerry two ultimate alphas? Now, you have to act. Jerry, by the way, would not be afraid of his size physically. No, the way Rossini reported that some owners. Jerry, he had no problem with that. Jerry's winning this battle. Don't get me wrong, but Vrabel will never tap out of this battle. Stephen Jones, though, loves Mike Vrabel, and that it comes down to this for Vrabel: Do you want to have a structure where you have a great defense and a good offense? Because that is the mindset of a Vrabel coach team. We need to be good on offense, great on defense. We're going to win. There is a success level there, but there's also a huge fall off there. Um, can that be Dallas? Yeah. Um, yes, it can work. And yes, it can be Vrabel because I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if owners want the two-year fix with Belichick. It is a quick, like, I don't think it would be great for Carolina because Carolina needs the longevity. You know, they gave their young coach a six-year contract. Um, I'm looking at a two-year span for, for Belichick. Is that, I mean, the I two, years, two years from now, what's, what's Dak Prescott making? Is he even there based on the salary he has? I, I don't know. Um, to me, Vrabel's more longevity purpose-driven than Belichick, and that's why I think I would go that direction. Plus, I know the relationship between Jerry's son and Vrabel. Hmm. There it is. You heard that from Jonathan Hutton. It sounds like he's had some conversations where he's heard some things about that relationship, and uh, that might not just be pure analysis and speculation. All right, Jonathan they, Hutton, they, Chad, they could have had, the host they could have of, had him though. They could have had him though. That's that's the other thing. They, they would have they, fired they, McCarthy. They, they right? could have. They could have, could have upgraded. I think they will again have that opportunity next year for both of those guys. All right, the host of Hot Mike on Outkick. It's been awesome, guys. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you being on the Will Kane Show. It's our honor. Thanks for having us, Will. Will, let's uh, come to, next time you're in Nashville. Let's uh, grab some moonshine here at Sixth and Peabody. How about swing it? by? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. There you go. That's Chad Withrow and Jonathan Hutton, the hosts of Hot Mike on Outkick. Go check them out at Outkick.com. Watch their show. They're every afternoon. You don't want to miss. Hot Mike. I appreciate the guys for being here today on the Will Kane Show, Kane on Sports, specific Friday sports edition. And that tees us up 
for next week. Another big week of live Will Kane show at foxnews.com and the Fox News YouTube channel and Fox News on Facebook. I'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.